everybody. Thanks again for downloading our content. I am Jake Wiskirchen, your host, and I'm going to take a sabbatical for a few weeks, so you're going to hear the same exact introduction over the next few podcasts, but I promise they're all good. They're actually a reboot of something that we did back in uh, December of 2018 and January of 2019, where we did a six-part series on emotional functioning. So I take the 10 core emotions as studied by Carol Izzard. That's uh, two R's and two L's and Carol, I-Z-A-R-D, Izzard, if you want to look him up. And it's from the book that he wrote called The Psychology of Emotions. And I take these uh, 10 emotions, two per episode, and try to compare and contrast them and go a little bit deeper into what their function is in our brain. So I hope you enjoy it. This is uh, this is going to be a five-part or six-part series, I should say. But alongside this, I invite you to pay attention to the Zephyr Wellness accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, because we're going to be posting videos about the individual emotions as they go through. And so you're, you're going to get a video overview if you want, if you follow that. And they'll, they'll also be housed on YouTube as well as this podcast. So feel free to share this stuff around. I think it's great. I think emotional functioning is something that should be taught in all schools. Personally, if I had my uh, magic wand, I would wave it over all of kindergarten through 12 education and teach it throughout, but specifically in the freshman uh, high school health curriculum that is um, universally required. We have, to, we have to study lots of things about health in our ninth grade year. And emotional functioning, I think, should be one of them, and I think it should be this model, personally. I I study this stuff quite a bit, and I've yet to find such a comprehensive, overarching review of literature as what Izzard did in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. So this is why I present it. Um, It it makes a lot of sense. It's very straightforward. It's empirically based. It's well-researched and studied. And if you want to check out his book, The Psychology of Emotions, it's quite expensive because it's out of print now, but uh, it is very, very good. Um, And if not, just listen to me because I've uh, done what I think is a decent enough job in distilling it down into some digestible pieces for you. And then you can go apply that in your own life. So Enjoy the series, and if you hear my uh, voice repeated over the next few episodes with some repeat content from about three years ago, two two and a half years ago, don't be surprised. I am just taking a break because I need one. In the meantime, if you need to check in on your emotional functioning, your mental health, go take a free and anonymous mental health uh, exam, not an exam, (laughs) what do we call these things, Um, survey. Not a survey. Jeez. Uh, screening. Screening. That's the word I'm looking for there. Uh, losing my mind these days. Talking about mental health and I lose my own mind. Uh, take a free and anonymous mental health screening at WTTA.org slash love. That's walkthetalkamerica.org. And you can click the, the thing all around the website. Uh, that uh, organization is something I do in my free time. Uh, really, really uh, almost more of a full-time gig now where we're trying to bring mental health treatment and care and uh, personal well-being to the firearms community. And that would be people who use firearms in their daily lives for work or hobbyists or collectors, whatnot, because historically firearms owners have been suspicious of getting their mental health tended to for a whole bunch of reasons. Some of them legitimate, some of them uh, perceived. And uh The flip side of that coin is to also make our mental health community of clinicians savvy and competent in understanding what firearms culture is like. So there's lots of resources on the site. We continue to build our organization, and I'm very proud of the work that we're doing. But one of the major things we do is offer these free and anonymous mental health screening tools that are um, 
hosted by Mental Health America. And you can check out mentalhealthamerica.net for more on them if you'd like. But in the meantime, get a, get a screening. Get yourself taken care of. Um, there are two in Spanish, the anxiety and the depression one, but I think there's 13 or 14 screenings overall. So check it out and share with a friend. Also, if you haven't, check out Audible. Audible uh, kicks us a few bucks every time somebody signs up for a a uh, free 30-day trial at their website. And if you use audibletrial.com slash noggin notes, that's how we uh, we get our little kickback, which is great because it helps to uh, offset some of the costs. Turns out it's really expensive to host a podcast for three and a half years. And now Noggin Notes has three podcasts under the same brand. So there's this Noggin Notes, and then there's Noggin Notes Africa and Noggin Notes Cambodia, all with exceptional content. I'm very, very proud to be affiliated with that too. Safiso, our founder, has done an amazing job hustling and working really hard to get great content creators and um, and the hosts have done a great job getting guests so uh, share this stuff around and let's make the world a better place I'll see you guys all in, uh, in a few weeks hey welcome back to the noggin notes podcast I'm your host Jake Wiskirchen and if you're new to the podcast thank you for joining us and we appreciate you tuning in I hope that you find this valuable we're trying to bring an awareness to people, bring some information. Uh, Noggin Notes' mission is to enrich and educate everyone's noggin on matters of mental wellness and uh, psychology, spirituality, emotional functioning, social interaction, communication, all sorts of stuff. So if you're into those kinds of things, and I assume that you are because most human beings are, and if you're listening to this and you're not a human being, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Info at nogginnotes.com and info at zephyrwellness.org is where you can reach me. Uh, shoot over questions, uh, inquiries, praises. Um, if you have mean things to say, uh, keep them to yourself because I don't want to hear them. <laughs> but uh, seriously, thanks for listening. As always, the show is sponsored by Zephyr Wellness, which is a company I co-own in Reno, Nevada. We're a mental health outpatient agency. We're uh, integrated with several other organizations in our northern Nevada area. And uh, we're doing we're doing what I think is pretty good stuff. Uh, check out ZephyrWellness.org and learn more. And uh, if you have not yet downloaded the Noggin Notes app, because maybe you're just listening to this because it's a it's a podcast, please check out the app. The app is uh, for mobile devices, and what it allows you to do is track your emotional functioning and attach notes to that, uh, hence the name, Noggin Notes. And it'll create a timeline for you. You can go back and review what you've written and uh, why you've experienced what you've experienced, all in an effort to gain a better sense of self-awareness and thus, you know, function forward instead of, uh, you know, maybe being stuck in certain cycles that you don't enjoy. This podcast episode is uh, the second part in a five-part series on emotional functioning, and I'm going to talk about interest, excitement, which is uh, the same type of emotion, and then joy and enjoyment, which is a different type of emotion. We're going through all 10 fundamental or core or discrete emotions in this series, as studied by the late Carol Izzard. If you want to look up more about him, his name is spelled with two R's and two L's, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, Izzard, like a lizard, but without the L. Uh, He studied emotions for a really long time and contributed greatly to the field of uh, the psychology of emotions. And like I've mentioned before, he quite literally wrote the book, The Psychology of Emotions. So check that out if you want to. It's a little hard to find. It was published uh, some time ago, but uh, very, very good reading, and it it doesn't read like a textbook. It's actually quite interesting. So on that note, we will talk more about interest 
I uh, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this. In my experience, when I teach this stuff to people, I've discovered that, by and large, people are uh, very... Uh, I don't want to reuse the word I'm about to use. Uh, they're interested, but they are also very surprised, which is another emotion, to learn that excitement and interest are indeed a, a, a discrete emotion unto itself. And I say interest slash excitement there. They're, they're not two separate things. They're, they're one thing and they're on the same continuum. And as I go through these, you'll hear me say that, that emotions are on a continuum from very small to very large. And I may say that several times because I want to keep reminding people that we don't experience the same amplitude of an emotion every time we experience something. So on this continuum, even though I, I list excitement, as one of the 10 discrete or uh, fundamental or core emotions that we have. You can pick your adjective to describe them. But the reason I list excitement and not interest is because um, excitement is a little bit easier to identify with people, I, I think. And, and this is just through anecdotal experience. I mean, feel free to disagree with me. But um, so I list them off and I, you know, I don't I don't go from, uh, you know, I don't necessarily say the range of emotions in each one because it's too hard to memorize. But if you can memorize that excitement is one of your emotions, you'll you'll know that down on the lower end of the continuum of what you feel, interest and curiosity also exist. And you can more or less use those two interchangeably, interest and curiosity. But in this particular podcast, I wanted to talk about what interest means. And I'm, I'm going to talk about joy a little bit later lo- Later on, you know, happiness uh, all the way up to enjoyment, which would be uh, synonymous almost with bliss, uh, pure enjoyment of something. But we'll get to that in the second half. So in the first half, we're going to talk about interest and excitement in that continuum and why it's important. So I mentioned that people are surprised to find out that this emotion is uh, unique unto itself, and I think most people have had an experience where they understand that they're excited, they under- understand they're curious, and I certainly hope that you're curious and interested to hear what I have to say about this. So if if you know that and you can discern it, it's a pretty easy one to put your finger on. We, we can pretty easily put our finger on a lot of things like sadness and anger. Um, happiness, we certainly, you know, most of us know, and, and interest certainly falls into that category. But of the emotions, it's possibly the most important one that we have because it serves so many functions. Now, in the in the previous week's podcast, I talked about how anger is used to motivate, and and truly, at the end of the day, most emotions are useful to motivate some sort of behavior, but. Interest motivates a lot. Um, chiefly, it's the pursuit of discovery. And uh, it, then that'll branch out into other categories, too. And I'll list them as we go on. But if you're curious about something, you want to find out more about it. And learning to harness that is really important so that you don't go crazy because some of our anxieties come from too much interest, too much excitement. Now, chiefly, I'll say that anxiety is rooted in fear, and that's a that's a fear of the unknown. It's a fear of something that is uncertain. Uh, we like to have certainty. We like to know things. We like to be, uh, you know, be able to wrap our arms around stuff. And so, we'll get our anxieties from from fear largely if we, if we don't know about something and we're not okay with it. And I'll get into fear in a different episode. But for today, I want to talk about interest and how interest can also uh, breed anxiety too if it's not corralled appropriately. So oftentimes when we when we discuss the concept of being interested or being excited about something, we uh, generally categorize it as a, a positive thing. It's something we, we want. We want to be interested and curious. I certainly want you to be interested and curious uh, in what I have to say so that you continue listening and you continue to expand your horizons. experience we ever have. 
Rough. So why do we stay in emotions longer than a few seconds? Well, it's because our, our frontal lobe is continuing to focus on the thing that has already triggered our emotions and then passed uh, as, as time passes, these, these things fade into the past, but we can certainly rechannel them just simply by focusing our attention back on them. So one thing that might be interesting is if you uh, learn of something about someone else, but you don't have all the details, you, you might remark, wow, that's interesting, but usually doesn't stop there because it's unsatisfying. We want to know more and uh, more, uh, put that in air quotes that you again, can't see because this is radio, but m- you want to know more, and that more doesn't always have a, a terminus. It, do, it doesn't have an endpoint. So how much could we possibly know about something or someone or an event or, or an object uh, that would satisfy us to the point that we stop asking questions? And the answer to that is probably not ever. Uh, there's probably not enough that we could ever ascertain to give us a full comprehensive picture about uh, anything that's not us. And even even we ourselves are so deep that we'll never know everything about us. So that's why I find the field of psychology so interesting is because we, we can literally pursue knowledge of self um, forever until we die and because we are, are limited. And, and if you believe in uh, that we're all divine beings of some sort, uh, then the divine being unlimited, we ourselves uh, have all the capacity to uh, achieve great things and, and it goes on forever. So we should be perpetually curious about ourselves. And Carol Izzard, from whose writing I draw this stuff, writes that uh, there's nothing more interesting to people than other people. And and there's certainly other interesting things like objects and concepts and and philosophies and so forth, but we'll never really know everything there is to know about another human being. We'll never know everything there is to know about an object or a concept or a theory. And so as a result, what ends up happening is we can anxietize ourselves simply through not knowing how to set a limit on our own curiosities. Um, there's that, that phrase that says curiosity killed the cat. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure where that comes from. I should probably Google that. Um, but I, in my own mind, I'm drawing the conclusion that uh, the cat doesn't know how to limit uh, its own curiosity, and so it pursues things to the point that it either gets into trouble, falls off something, you know, it meets its demise. Or in the human world, we can we can kind of make ourselves just go a little bit berserk by not being okay with uh, the limits that are placed upon us insofar as we'll never know everything that there is to know. So part of what I, I teach a lot is is learning to be at peace, learning to embrace mystery. And that's not just the mystery of, of fear of the unknown and being able to wrap our arms around it. It's the mystery that we'll never actually be able to plunge into the depths of understanding of of most things. I mean, even masters of, of crafts of certain things like, say, ceramics. I'm, I'm looking at my, uh, my wickless candle here. It's made out of ceramic. I mean, you can make this by hand and uh, kiln it, glaze it, you know, paint it, all that stuff. I probably got those in the wrong order because I don't do ceramics. But uh, it's a fascinating concept to me. But even artists who are excellent at what they do, even elite at what they do, they don't really dive into the ingredients of the the materials that they use they're not mining them out of the ground by hand typically they uh you know they rely on somebody else to do that so the curiosity of where that comes from can go uh on literally forever uh where did the materials to make the clay come from well they came from the ground uh which was mined by a mine and the mine pulled it out with some materials uh some tools of some sort uh well where did the the minerals 
in the material come from? Well, they came from, you know, wherever they come from, uh, you know, geol- geological uh, advancements through time and uh, maybe, you know, dead dinosaur bones moved in there, you know, plants dissolved or disintegrated or, you know, whatever. Uh, but it, it goes on forever and ever all the way back until the very beginning of time, which admittedly no one knows how it started. So that in and of itself, I mean, I'm, I just drew that from looking at a little wickless candle here made out of, you know, ceramic material and, and I could... I could I could go crazy wondering where this came from. Not to mention how the machinery was constructed to extract the thing from the mine, um, the the people running it. What about them? Their lives. Uh, I'm curious how they ended up becoming mining engineers or or machine operators or you know uh, front and front end loader operators or or whatever. Um, all this stuff inter, intertwines and it comes back in and, and it begs a curiosity from us that. Um, if left unchecked, could could not could end up not serving us. But I want to go into some of the uh, the adaptive functions of interest and, and excitement, um, and chiefly what it motivates us to do. It motivates us to succeed. Um, it it uh, motivates us to achieve things. We also use it to acquire new skills, usually in the in the pursuit of achievement. And I want to read a, a an outtake from the book here, uh, The Psychology of Emotions by Carol Izzard. And if you want to look him up, that's uh, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, two R's, two L's, and then Izzard, like lizard, but without the L. And he quotes a, a person named John Henry. He says, uh, listen to John Henry describe two of his hobbies. At one quote, at one time, I was interested in learning how to play the guitar. I knew I was not especially gifted musically, but I admired guitar playing very much and thought that practice would make my playing okay, if not perfect. After buying a guitar and working at it for a while, I felt that I was so inept that I lost interest in practicing, and that was the end of that avocation. So he was frustrated by his inability to achieve what he wanted to, and he he quite literally lost interest. Now compare that to the next thing. He says, in contrast, there was a time in which the development of my tennis game uh, when I thought that I, I, it had reached a plateau, I thought I would never get any better because I couldn't hit a successful approach shot, follow it to the net and volley effectively. But the excitement I experienced playing tennis kept me at the game. And with the help of some good coaching and quite a bit of practice, approach and volley became my favorite parts of the game. So he contrasts interest, which faded with his frustration against excitement, which is on the other end of the emotion continuum of interest and excitement and says the excitement of playing tennis kept him at it. So so sometimes we can we can override some of our um, emotions with greater emotions on the same spectrum to keep pursuing great things. Interest as a uh, interest or excitement as a as an emotional concept as its adaptive function relates to us today has helped advance us evolutionarily so through the ages so that we create um, better, more efficient products. We, um, you know, maybe back in the day when we were all cavemen and women, we were building uh, more effective houses. We tried to figure out how to plug the leak in the roof, uh, you know, more effective ways to hunt animals, that, that sort of thing. So, so it definitely had, it, had its advantages. And as Izzard notes, the, the interest excitement gone awry can result in psychological problems and even uh, pathological psychological problems. So for example, during manic episodes, uh, the level of interest that an individual is experiencing typically skyrockets. And so what we, what we end up with is, um, spiraling out of control, a complete loss of, um, you know, attachment to reality in some cases where, where we go a little bit psychotic and, and that's all out of this emotion of interest. But interestingly enough, uh, and I do put an asterisk next to that, 
even when we're at rest, we are typically still emoting somewhat. And if you think back to the introduction of the the emotions overview, I mentioned uh, an analogy or a metaphor of two tanks of fluid connected by a common pipe in which one tank would be feeling and the other tank would be thinking, and they would be either high or low on one side or the other, depending on whether you were in reason mode or you were in an emotional mode. When you're at rest, though, and I, and I did say this, they don't empty completely. Uh, there, there's no such thing as a complete absence of emotion. There's no such thing as a complete absence of, of cognition. So what's happening is when we're at rest, what keeps us alert is the emotion of interest or curiosity or uh, excitement on a greater degree. But typically, you're not typically at rest. Did I just say typically or not typically? <laughs> um, typically, we're not at rest when we're excited. We might be at rest in a classroom, say, or or taking notes in a seminar or a lecture or a conference. We're at rest. Uh, we're fully engaged with our frontal lobes to learn stuff. But what's keeping us engaged is the emotion of interest. When we're at rest, we're looking around the room. We're taking in new sights. We're considering things. And so, of course, this can be overridden by uh, physiological experiences like fatigue and hunger, where we, where we no longer longer are interested in what's going on around us, but we're more interested in feeding ourselves or interested in taking a nap, for example. Hopefully nobody's uh, getting that from, from me as I talk. But the idea is that interest and curiosity are so fundamentally tied to our uh, awake state that that's usually our resting uh, baseline is, is we're in some level of interest at, at one point or another as long as we're awake. I am going to explore the happiness or the joy continuum after the break, and in the middle of the break, I want you to consider something uh, about interest, and as you're driving or cooking or sitting at your desk or whatever you're doing, think about the things that are going on around you and whether or not you're actually interested in them or if you're passively interested in them, and then uh, consider what the difference is. Uh, whether you're you take an active curiosity, whether you know something flashes across your computer screen and you want to go Google that, that would be probably more active curiosity or interest, uh, versus something where you just notice it and you go, "Huh, that's, I didn't realize that was there," and then you let it go and and try to discern for yourself. I'm not giving you any guidance on this because I'm not going to suggest one or the other, but but try to discern for yourself what it is that intrigues you to the point that you want to pursue it more versus the thing that you just simply notice and then let go of. Because I think if you can delineate the the breaking point there, what you're going to do is you're going to be able to be able to separate yourself from the things that may drive you crazy. And you, and you, you just always want to figure stuff out. Like, um, you know, why did this person look at me the wrong way when I was at the store the other day? Well, you'll never figure that out. Can you also let it go with simply noticing it and then um, observing it rather than wanting internally to continue pursuing and figuring it out, which you'll, you'll probably never get to because it's, it's a complete stranger or whatever, and uh, you'll never know their motivations, and it may have had nothing to do with you. So um, I invite you to consider that while we go into the break, and after the break, we will talk about joy and enjoyment. You're listening to Noggin Notes. See you in a bit. Hey, we're back, and I hope that over the break you were able to consider the difference uh, between the things that beg you to pursue them more and investigate more versus the ones that you just let go of, uh, and I hope you found something interesting out of that. But what I realized I also didn't discuss was the function of interest as it relates to uh, personal uh, growth and development 
when we are nourished in our interest and curiosity by uh, healthy upbringings, what it does is it tends to develop our cognitive abilities a lot faster and and more robustly too. Versus if you know if you're raised in a an environment where maybe socioeconomic factors uh, were were limiting the ability to uh, connect with different resources like um, you know books and and so forth. Maybe maybe you found yourself a little bit stunted. The cool thing is is about that we can always grow our brain capacity. And if you're interested in that stuff now, and you're hearing this maybe as an adult, or maybe you're you're a, a child in one of those situations where you're aware that you're a little bit deprived of resources, don't worry about that too much. You can always continue to grow your brain through the emotion of interest. If you're interested in something, you can pursue it. Um, knowledge is always out there. Knowledge is ever present, and education can be. Um, you know, pursued at any moment in, in your life. So don't, don't worry too much about that. If you, if you think that you're disadvantaged right now, uh, you, you won't be forever. And, uh, maybe just the interest in how you get out of that situation is enough to propel you forward. So, so keep the faith. Um, and then one other thing I forgot to mention was that interest is the emotion that overrides pain a lot of times. And I'm talking physiological pain. So if you're an athlete and you're playing sports and you twist your ankle, but you, you want to keep pursuing through the, through the play or whatever, the interest or the excitement of finishing that can override the pain response. And similarly with children, if they uh, stub their toe, slam their finger, you know, touch a hot stove and get burnt, you can distract those children oftentimes by dangling something in front of them or pointing their attention elsewhere. And make it makes them curious about something so that, such that it focuses their attention away from the pain and onto the thing that you've placed in front of them. So keep that in mind. It's it's a temporary uh you know, intercession to that, to that pain. Obviously if you burn your finger, the blister is going to hurt for, for days, not, uh, not just a few seconds, but the idea is that you can at least draw their attention away, or you can draw your own attention away from your pain long enough to gather your thoughts and take action and go, go seek medical care. So, um, I wanted to move on to the emotion of joy and, and it's on a continuum of joy to enjoyment. Uh, so at the very large end of happiness, we have pure bliss. And at the the low end we have I guess you'd call it contentment where you're just you're just cool, everything's everything's fine. And the and the function of this emotion is to tell us that we're we're getting what we want. We uh we're we're doing things the the way that works for us and to to more or less just just keep it moving. And what Izzard talks about is how how happiness or joy interacts with other emotions and with perception, cognition and action. So it can slow down your performance, but it also can create a kind of openness and receptivity associated with uh, you know, being creative and, and being aware. And this is important because if we're, if we're really unhappy, if we're stuck in the doldrums and we're not experiencing joy, we're not really open to feedback. And, I, and I'm sure that you've all experienced that on some, some level or another where you're, you're bumming around, you're, you're kicking rocks, and you know, people are just you know, trying to get you up and you're just not hearing them. Versus if you're in a happy state, you're, you're up for anything. You're, you're willing to try stuff. So, so joy and interest um, play together really well in the, in the brain and psychologically speaking. Now, um, some people uh, do experience conflict between excitement and joy because they're trying to figure out, you know, whether it's important to be at peace, which is more of a more of a state of happiness or bliss versus continue pursuing things, which could then feed that happiness. 
And from there, I want to segue into an article that I wrote a couple of years back called uh, Don't Pursue Happiness. And it sounds that I purposely titled it that because I think it grabs the reader's attention. But the idea is that you don't want to pursue happiness or, or really any emotion because inevitably it'll lead to disappointment, which is sadness. And um, we, we already covered that in the last podcast because emotion always ends and happiness or joy is an emotion. And by its very nature, it will end. Uh, we, it only lasts a few seconds in the brain unless, like I've mentioned, you purposely focus your attention on those things for which you're grateful for those things uh, on those things for which you're happy. So things that, that you allow make yourself happy will allow you to be in moments of happiness uh, as long as you focus on them. So the idea is that if we focus on what we have presently, and, and I mean like like right right now, however long that may be, then choosing to find value and meaning in it, what, what you'll get is you'll find the same joy. Um, the only difference is that you take the pursuit out of the equation and you direct your attention to what you currently have or experience. Now, if, if you're one of those people who are like, oh, I don't have anything in my life to be happy for, I would invite you to scale back your, um, your expectations a little bit. And especially if you're listening to this podcast, you at least have the technology to access it. So there's something for which you can be grateful. Not everybody does in this world. And if if your standards are set so high that you just expect these things like technology, the internet, podcasts, um, you know, brilliant therapists from Reno, Nevada saying awesome things about emotion into your ear. Totally kidding, by the way. I don't think that highly of myself. But um, if you, if you, if that's your baseline expectation, then you start to take things for granted, and then you will lose out on that ability to experience joy or contentment or even pure happiness because your your eyesight's are, eyesight is set so high that everything that you experienced getting to where you are has now been more or less thrown away, taken for granted, or um, just ignored in some cases. So we want to we want to have a, a mindset of gratitude because that'll bring joy into our lives when we're grateful for the things that we have, especially the things that are like, you know, blessings that we didn't expect. Uh, that can also generate excitement. And when we notice that stuff and we live in the present moment, we can experience life fully. And of course, the present moment is, is invariably going to be, you know, is going to come with pain at some points. But Here's the thing. If you've spent most of your time practicing the habit of happiness or joy or gratitude, what you end up getting is you push your baseline a little higher and it shifts your confirmation bias toward expecting happiness so, such that when pain comes along, you'll notice it and you'll say, well, this, this hurts, this sucks, but it's not forever. And I know that because I've tolerated other painful things. And right now, happiness is more valuable to me than living in the pain. So if we recognize the present joy, we have no need to seek it, you know, hence the, you know, don't pursue joy, because it's always going to be there no matter what. All I have to do is choose to see it. And, you know, if you, if you don't find just a little bit of joy and, you know, laughing at me when I, you know, uh, you know, laugh at myself and I, I say how brilliant I am uh, very, <laughs> very flippantly, um, then you're, you know, 
you're probably going to struggle to uh, see joy in other things. So we want to let go of, of where our eyeballs take us. And I, I'm talking about our mental eyeballs too. Um, if you're, if you're seeing negativity, if you're seeing conflict, just look elsewhere. It's really quite that simple. Um, it, and if you work a job maybe that requires you to, you know, study Twitter or whatever, you, you're, you're following politics because your job requires you to follow politics or you, you live under a bad boss. That's fine. That's all well and good. That stuff's out there. It's also not of you. And you don't have to take it personally, and you don't have to live in that stuff. All you got to do is just notice it, and that's where non-attachment comes in too, which is which is really cool. And it's it's a concept I'll explore in a different podcast. Actually, I already I think I already covered that just a couple of weeks ago. The idea of non-attachment being that you can notice things, observe them, and let them go, just like I invited you to do in the in the first half of this um, this show. So. Uh, in summation, we want to we want to notice that um, happiness helps us to uh, know that that things are going right, that we appreciate what we have, that we're getting what we want, and keep doing what we're doing. Uh, and the interest excitement continuum tells us that we we should keep pursuing. We want to explore. We want to find out new things, often for the for the purposes of achievement or for development of our own skill sets. And then sometimes you'll find yourself uh, even laughing. And laughter is a byproduct of joy, um, which can actually be taken to an extreme. Uh, and physiologically, if you think about you know a time that you've laughed so hard that you you. Uh, you endured pain, you know, maybe you got a splitting, you know, in your side or, uh, you lost your breath and turned blue because you're laughing so hard. Um, that's, it's almost like your body is telling you that even too much happiness is a bad thing, uh, that we don't want to just live in this, uh, delirious, blissful environment anymore because then it shuts off the ability to, to maintain contact with other things that keep us grounded. Like, like pain, pain is necessary. Hurt is necessary. Sadness is necessary. Also that we can appreciate the balance of what we do have. Well, if you like this podcast, we'd appreciate you sharing it with other people. You can uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes or Google Play. You can go to uh, Facebook and follow Noggin Notes on Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter. And, uh, of course, on Dash Radio. If you're listening to this on Dash Radio, um, thanks for, for joining us. And, again, invite other people to, to share in this because uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm going to keep saying it. Uh, this information doesn't do any good locked up in my head. It does the most good when people share it around so that we can all find peace and tranquility in our lives and then uh, become lights to others who, who might be struggling in a little bit of darkness. So as always, on behalf of the Noggin Notes team and my Zephyr Wellness family, I really appreciate you listening, and we wish you great mental wellness. Until next time, I'm Jake Wiskirchen. Bye-bye.